Hello, greetings and welcome. I'm John Gibbons and this is Alchemy. After an absence of some months, it's great to have your company again and we really hope you enjoy the show. As many of you will be aware, the reason for us being off the airwaves for the past number of months is due to financial constraints. In a sense, we've been victims of our own success in that we have a huge subscriber base and so many people listen to us every single episode. As a result, our costs have been extremely high and quite frankly, we hadn't been able to afford the bandwidth. So we decided to see if we could come up with a solution and that involved taking ourselves off the air and we're back now. We attempted an online fundraising campaign which was wildly unsuccessful. So while we didn't get the funds that it costs to keep the show on air, myself and the production and research team here at Alchemy have endeavoured to work that little bit harder so we can pay for it ourselves. There were some people who made some very generous donations and we thank you kindly for that and all donations are of course gratefully accepted now and in the future you can do so through our website. We exist thanks to those donations and for the record we're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. The show is free and on demand from iTunes and our website alchemyradio.net and our online community is growing so you can join us and feedback and say hello even on Facebook and Twitter. It's really simple, Twitter at alchemyradio and Facebook forward slash alchemyradio.net. So don't be shy, say hello. So then, on to the show. Alchemy. Today's guest is Mark Devlin, DJ podcaster, radio host, author and conspiracy researcher and Mark returns to the show having previously chatted with me on air. Mark, it's great to have you back. How are things? Well, happy to be back, John. Thanks for inviting me. It's always good. We've spoken, of course, in the past and for anyone who may have missed that episode, you can go to the archive on alchemyradio.net and check out the chat with Mark Devlin. So we won't delve too much, Mark, into your background, but very, very briefly, just give us a synopsis of what you did in years gone by and how you've kind of got to the stage where you've become a well-known voice, podcaster and I would say authority on a lot of what's going on in the world around us. Well, yeah, I'll give you the potted version. Uh, I've been a DJ for the last 25 years, basically, and uh, I've been known for playing hip-hop, R&B, soul, funk, reggae, soulful house, uh, what you'd call various forms of black music, basically. And it served me well as a career for many years. It was my main job for the best part of 20 years. So uh, I've done radio shows in that time on various different stations, and I've DJed up and down the UK and internationally. I've been fortunate enough to travel to about 40-odd different countries around the world doing my thing. Uh, I've been a music journalist as well. I used to write for Blues and Soul magazine in the UK and uh, I put a book out a few years ago as well talking about my DJ exploits various uh, good humoured anecdotes and so for many years that just served me as my main career and uh, had a lot of fun with it and um, you know uh, didn't really think too much too deeply about what it was I was doing but uh, 
things got to a point in 2010 where I underwent what I always refer to as a conscious awakening. Right. And that was the culmination of quite a few years of reading and absorbing information from various different authors and uh, getting turned on to various bits of information by my dad, who was always a quite a deep thinker and always encouraged me to be the same. And uh, I think all along through those years as a DJ, I realized that something wasn't quite right with the world. And I think it goes right back to my childhood, actually, because I can remember from a very young age uh, being very much against the royal family. <laughs> and uh, just uh, it, it just really bothered me and bugged me that there was this family that got all these privileges above everyone else. And it just seemed morally wrong to me. And I couldn't understand why it was. Mm. And so I've always been someone that's questioned official versions of things, I guess. And uh, as I say, in 2010, all of this stuff just kind of came together and started to make sense in my mind. I've been reading the books of David Icke, but many other authors as well. And um, I realized that the world is nothing like it's presented to us. And that set me off on a path of discovery, of going off in so many different directions and uncovering truths and uh, having to begrudgingly reassess my view of life and the universe and what it's all about. And uh, also, to a, to a lesser extent, what I'd been doing with my life up to that point. Mm. And, um, you know, the industry that I'd been a part of in terms of being a DJ, because I came to realize that there was definitely an agenda within the music business of uh, mind controlling and socially engineering the masses. And that the music that I was playing was a big part of that. Mm. And so that's pretty much been a specialist area of mine in the last five years. Uh, I've done a lot of research into exactly what's going on in the music game, what it's being used for, how it fits into the bigger picture of what's going on in the world. And I've kind of reinvented myself, you might say, as a speaker and, and someone that exposes all this stuff. So, you know, the DJing stuff, I still do to a, a much lesser extent. I just do a few gigs now. It's mainly old school stuff. It's mainly gigs for promoters and friends that I've worked for before. Right. And so most of my time and most of my energy now goes into uh, the research and the public talks and the radio shows and the book that I'm writing. And one of the things I find most interesting is the fact that you were a DJ and played a lot of hip-hop music in the past because hip-hop originally had a conscious message and then that message began to change and it became about, I suppose, in the late 90s, early 2000s, bling-bling and all yep. that side of thing and about con crass consumerism and gun culture and gang-related stuff and the glorification of gang culture as opposed to the conscious message that did spring up from the underprivileged um, areas in the US, both East and West Coast. So how interesting was it for you when you kind of correlate the story of hip-hop with your career was that obvious to you or was it something that other people pointed out for you or how were those parallels um how did they feel when they eventually struck you i suppose well i was in great denial of it for a long while and um obviously one of the main names that gets cited time and time again as one of the key players in corporate agenda hip-hop 
is Jay-Z. Yeah. And I was always a big fan of Jay-Z. I thought he was an incredible lyricist and I followed his stuff for many years. And so when I first started hearing the accusations that he was a manipulated stooge and puppet, it was very difficult for me to come to terms with. And so I absolutely understand why people uh, don't accept these accusations readily. And that there is a lot of denial on, on the part of so many people because it was that way for me. Mm. And it reminds me of... Um, I talk a lot about the music of the Beatles and um, the idea that the Beatles were actually a creation of the Tavistock Institute in London and that they were actually an exercise in mind control and social engineering. And you make that suggestion to any original generation Beatles fans and, you know, the denial will, will come in straight away. Yeah. And they're, they're not having it at all and uh, they just don't want to hear it. And that's kind of understandable in a way because people have a lot invested in their youth in terms of nostalgia. You have these acts and you have this music that kind of define your youth and, and your lifestyle from, from fondly remembered times in your life. And to have to admit that these things were manipulated and were part of a mind control agenda is very difficult for people to do. So it was that way with me at first with hip hop. And I defended it with various people who in the early days were trying to tell me that it was all part of an agenda. And, uh, you know, specifically people would cite the genre known as gangster rap, yeah. which talks all about uh, gun violence and such and street violence. And I used to defend that by saying, well, it's just the artists talking about where they come from and it's just them documenting their lifestyles and this stuff really goes on in the ghetto and, you know, we just need to be aware of it. But I can see now with the passage of time that the introduction of this genre, which has come to be known as gangster rap, was absolutely manipulated, uh, just like so many other things. And it was introduced in uh, conjunction with the private prison industry in the US. And there was this famous meeting, which is supposed to have taken place in the early 90s, uh, where a whole bunch of people representing the big record labels of the time were called into this private meeting with a representative from the US private prison industry. And this guy proceeded to tell them uh, that they could be working together uh, for mutual profit all round by uh, changing the style of music that was getting uh, put out there and making it fashionable for young black kids and well white kids as well I guess hearing lyrics about gang banging and street violence and all of this and the idea was to uh, kind of normalize that type of behavior among young people so that uh, more and more of them would be falling foul of the law and would be getting banged up on various charges, you know, having been influenced by the music they're listening to. Mm. And if you told me that a few years ago, I would have scoffed at it and I would have dismissed it and said, it's a load of rubbish. But I can absolutely understand now how that particular aspect plays its part in everything else that's going on. And it's absolutely blatant to see how the genre of hip-hop has been taken and uh, you said you mentioned earlier how it's progressed. I would say it's regressed. <laughs> you know, regression is the word because yeah. you go back to the early days of hip hop. And as you pointed out, it was message music. It was socially conscious for the most part. You had uh, classic records like Grandmaster Flash, The Message and, you know, White Lines. And they were documenting stuff that was going on, but in a very uh, meaningful way, not glorifying it at all. They were cautionary tales. And you look at what purports to be hip hop now, 30 odd years later later 
Little Wayne, Drake, Big Sean, Nicki Minaj, Rick Ross, all these jokers. It's just straight garbage. There's absolutely no message there at all. Uh, the whole genre has been completely demoralized, degenerated, regressed. All you hear about is just negative behavior. It's glorifying uh, drug culture. It's glorifying uh, promiscuous behavior. It's glorifying material brands, materialism generally. It's just straight garbage. It's bad for the spirit. It's bad for the mind. Uh, and young people growing up listening to this music are being led down the garden path in terms of, you know, absolute mind control. So it's quite tragic for me to see. And what's also been shocking is just looking back at some of the music that I used to play. And it's so obvious when you know what you're looking for now, when you've got eyes to see. Mm. It's so obvious what the agenda was in terms of certain styles when they started to emerge, certain artists when they started to come on the scene, certain things that started to get referenced in the lyrics. Uh, you could take it back to uh, the mid-90s, really, and so much of that responsibility lies at the door of Bad Boy Records, which was run by Sean Puffy Coombs, yeah. uh, Puff Daddy, and various other pseudonyms. And when he introduced Notorious B.I.G. and so many of the other acts on that bad boy label, that's when you started to first get all the references to champagne and being up in the club and Versace suits and all this other bullshit. And uh, hip-hop, so-called, has been pretty much talking about the same stuff ever since so that's 20 years now going on 20 years we've had 20 years of this soul-destroying spirit-crushing garbage which bears no relation to what went before it and uh you know there's whole generations of of young kids that are just growing up now uh listening to this stuff and thinking that's where it's at this is hip-hop this is great this is the music of my generation this speaks to me and of course that was always the plan but those of us of, of my kind of age that remember better days, better times can see the change that's taken place. And if you're open minded about it and if you're honest about it, as I've come to be, then you can see that it's all part of an agenda. That's it. And I don't think it's the case of two DJs having a nostalgic rant about the way things were, because you've hit the nail on the head in terms of where the conscious message has disappeared to. And you mentioned artists such as Nicki Minaj and Lil Wayne and these guys who are at the forefront now of the so-called hip-hop scene. They're major pop stars globally. There's a message in their music as well. I disagree with anybody who says there isn't a message. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Mark, because um, I think it's far more nefarious than anything we've heard in music in the past. The symbolism and the imagery that is associated with these artists, be it through music videos or public appearances or whatever else, there's something extremely sinister at work there. So maybe you could give us your views on that and elaborate a little bit, because I think you might be of a similar mindset there to me. Yeah, uh, it goes deeper than just the lyrics, as you alluded to there with these artists. You know, uh, this never used to be the case, but you get the whole package now. So you get all these uh, debased, degraded, just negative garbage lyrics but then you get the visuals with it as well in terms of the videos in terms of the, the record sleeves and the promotional pictures and stuff and so much of it is uh dark occult in nature and satanic and luciferian in nature and i know that's going to shock a lot of people and again the denial is going to come in uh with so many when you first suggest that but you need to do the research. If it's not something you've looked into before, don't just dismiss it because it sounds ridiculous. There are so many researchers now that are highlighting this imagery, this symbolism, and what it represents. And 
as I say, a lot of it is very dark in nature. And it's all done on a subliminal level, which is how symbolism has its main effect. Uh, great quote from the researcher Jay Widener, which I often use. Uh, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a symbol is worth a thousand pictures, which just highlights the uh, subconscious mental power that a symbol has. Mm. And it goes below the threshold of conscious recognition and that's why it's so effective because people don't realize what's being done to them in the forms of symbolism and uh, so you've got all this dark occultic imagery which should have no connection at all with the entertainment business you know why should there be any correlation between these two things sure. but when you look at the true nature of the entertainment business not just music but hollywood movies and television and uh, everything else you realize that it's all ultimately owned and controlled by the same networks and the same individuals and the entertainment business is used in order to get uh this imagery and this symbolism and these mindsets into the the consciousness of the general public largely young people who have no idea what's going on and you're having perceptions of the world and of self and of reality shaped for you in your subconscious mind by way of this stuff that, that's coming in through music videos and such. So people really do owe it to themselves to get clued up and streetwise as to what's going on. Nobody likes to think of the fact that their mind is being hijacked. Nobody likes to think of themselves as dupes and mugs, you know, being taken for mugs. Uh, but that is what's going on. So you really need to look into it. So that's what these current generation artists are being used for. And I was trying to think the other day, when is the last time you heard a mainstream so-called hip-hop or R&B record that gets played on the radio that you see on MTV that had any kind of motivational, uplifting message for humanity? I think I'm really, really struggling here. The one that springs to mind, and we're going back quite a few years now, Black Eyed Peas, Where's the Love? Okay, yes, I think yes. I think there was a good message in that. And the Black Eyed Peas then, I don't know what year it was. You could probably enlighten me. I'll look it up here in a second. Well, but it was 2003, that one. 2003, so it's quite some time ago. It's not yesterday. And the Black yeah. Eyed Peas are a very fine example, I think, of an act who have morphed and changed into exactly what we've spoken about from going from a socially conscious message to a level of base consciousness and the pushing of an almost satanic message at times. I think that's the only one I can think of. That's certainly the most recent example. And you've just said, I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's 12 years ago. It's interesting that you cite that because that's probably the last one I would think of as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more to that story, as you've just said. I mean, there's Lupe Fiasco, Words I Never Said, which came out about four years ago. Mm. Um, I don't know if you'd call that mainstream because it wasn't a massive hit. Um, and Lupe, Lupe Fiasco used to be an artist who I admired because he was coming out with just that message music. But shortly after that track... He started putting out some real garbage stuff as well. Auto-tune all over the track and, you know, just straight rubbish lyrics, the same as everyone else. Mm. And then you had the Black Eyed Peas record in 2003, which was, uh, you know, inspirational stuff. And then pretty much immediately after that, their music started to change and their whole image and everything they stood for started to change. And then you had Will I Am becoming one of the main proponents of auto-tune, which I bloody hate, as people know. And we can get into uh, the true reasons as to why auto-tune is being rolled out on everything. Mm. It's all connected to the transhumanist agenda. And uh, the Black Eyed Peas and Will I Am are just making some of the worst, most spirit-crushing garbage music there is out there now and 
it seems to me that Will I Am was recruited sort of into the agenda and forced or coerced or whatever it is they do to these artists into changing his music and making all this stuff. Uh, maybe as a result of putting that record out, I don't know. But I've seen similar uh, patterns emerging with other artists. Kanye West is a great example. Um, okay, here's another track that was sort of, uh, you might say, positive and inspirational, yeah. which was Jesus Walks by Kanye West. Sure. That was 2004. And he also had the track All Falls Down, which was a great essence track as well. That was 2003 from his first album. And pretty much immediately after that, Kanye West's music started to change as well. And you've got to wonder if these artists are kind of being... Uh, punished i mean that might be a ridiculous word to use but you know be, being made to pay a price for putting out this meaningful music they get um sort of co-opted into the agenda by the corporations that control them and then the next thing you know they're just putting out this this hideous uh terrible uh music that is all part of uh the mind control agenda so uh black ip is big part of that will i am big part of that uh and i've actually put a piece in my book which is kind of a joke, but there might be a serious element to it as well. Will I Am's got this trademark haircut where he's got a sort of chunk, a corner chunk cut out the side of his head. And you've got to wonder if that's symbolic, because they love their symbolism, these people, of him having a chunk cut out of his mind. <laughs> because uh, we get into the realm of mind-controlled artists, of course. Uh, which is very real and which people really do need to research. A lot of these artists are actually under the influence of trauma-based mind control, which is endemic throughout Hollywood and throughout the entertainment business. So uh, I do wonder if the chunk cut out of Will I Am's head is uh, symbolic in any way of that. Well, let's talk about some of that type of symbolism because there may be many listeners who are kind of laughing and scoffing and thinking, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, you're really pu sure pushing it there, Mark. However, if one takes that possible coincidence okay and then correlates it with the ubiquitous imagery at the top level of the pop world at the moment so take any kind of female artist I will bet my bottom dollar that at some point over the last year or two years they have done at least one video where they have used um, MK Ultra or Monarch programming type imagery another video where they will Absolutely. have pretended or played the part of a puppet on a string that, that those kind yes. of jerky movements that we see the whole time use. All the different artists are using the same imagery over and over and over again, whether it's the one-eyed symbolism or whatever it is. And I have to ask you, Mark, do you think that these artists are cut in on the agenda? Are they aware of what's happening? Are the designers or the teams around them aware? Do you think they're mindful of what's actually going on or is it all just fame and riches for them and they're at the top level of their game and their career and they're happy to do pretty much whatever they're told to do? I think most of them are entirely unaware of the uh, potency of the symbolism that they're putting out there. In a lot of cases, I think these artists are recording videos with certain scenes and a lot of the uh, mind control symbolism and dark occult symbolism is not present at the time of recording the video. Right. It's kind of stripped in afterwards uh, by the producers and the engineers via CGI and such. And I do think that there are a lot of mind-controlled artists in the industry and they do like to kind of uh, mock and taunt us with this imagery that they put in associated with these artists. Uh, there's some obvious ones like Britney Spears. There's very little doubt that Britney Spears is... Um, 
a subject of mind control. There's very little doubt with Nicki Minaj. Uh, to me, there's very little doubt with Mariah Carey. Uh, you know, the jury is out on certain other artists, Beyonce, not really sure about, Kanye West, you know. Um, and then there's other artists that I think are not under the influence of mind control, such as Jay-Z. Uh, I think they are just dupes and stooges in this whole game. But you do see the same imagery cropping up time and time again, as you mentioned, mm. particularly with the female artists, when you get to the Miley Cyruses and the Katy Perrys and yeah. the Rihannas and the Britney Spears. You see time and time again, the pyramids, the all-seeing eye, uh, there's monarch butterflies everywhere, and that's very symbolic of monarch programming which is a division of trauma-based mind control connected to the MK Ultra program. Uh, if people go to the Vigilant Citizen website, there's so many articles there breaking down what this symbolism represents. There's broken mirrors everywhere. There's dolls with broken limbs, which mm. is a big part of it. That symbolizes uh, mind control. It's all to do with the corruption and debasement of childhood because they get so many of these artists from a, a young age and start programming them then. Uh, it's all very real. I mean, I know people would prefer it not to be the case but it is you know truth is truth and you're either going to face up to it and and you know accept it or you're not but you see this symbolism time and time again and another one when it comes to female artists is how many female pop artists over the years have you seen depicted as marilyn monroe madonna is the classic in the material girl video but there are so many artists that uh impersonate marilyn monroe and you see actresses doing it as well and tv stars and celebrities generally and this all goes down to another division of trauma-based mind control which is known as beta programming mm. and it's uh, also known as sex kitten programming and it's basically the uh preparation of mind-controlled sex slaves who are used by uh the rich and powerful elites uh, and they're kind of dissociated from reality as a result of their programming so that a lot of the time they don't recall what's been happening to them. But uh, something else for people to look into, beta programming, and Marilyn Monroe was an iconic figure within that whole scenario. It's all connected. So to play devil's advocate here for a second, Mark, are you really trying to tell me that the pop stars that the kids of today are being exposed to and the adults indeed on a daily basis and that are everywhere are the products of a form of mind control and are sex slaves um, for the rich and powerful elite I mean surely that's just way too far-fetched why would that be necessary why is that needed I wouldn't suggest that uh, your favorite pop stars are necessarily sex slaves I'm just pointing out that the Marilyn Monroe beta programming imagery is uh, connected to uh, mind control sex slaves. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't suggest that they're used for that purpose. Right. But I am suggesting that many of your favorite household name artists have undergone mind control. The reason they do it is because they want absolute control over the artists that they use so that they, in turn, can be used to mind control the general public. So an artist who is under mind control and is programmable and is susceptible to anything that's presented to them in terms of what they're required to do is just easier to control than an artist with any kind of creative artistic uh, 
tendencies, you know, any kind of maverick artist that wants to express themselves in their own individual way. They want artists that are absolutely down with the program, that do what they're told, that don't ask questions, and that basically perform like puppets and robots. I mean, when you see somebody like Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus up there on stage, to me, that's exactly what they look like. They just look like programmed robots going through motions and performing routines that have been set out for them. It doesn't appear to me like there's any kind of individualistic artistic expression going on there. Mm. That's why they use mind control artists. Same thing in Hollywood. So many household name uh, favorite actors are mind controlled. It would absolutely shock people to hear some of these names. But uh, the entire industry is run on this basis. Uh, Roseanne Barr, the actress, is somebody that's come out publicly and talked about how endemic uh, MKUltra mind control is in Hollywood. Uh, the reason there aren't many more coming out is because it's very dangerous for them to do so for obvious reasons. But it doesn't mean it's not going on. Yeah, uh, I think Randy Quaid is another example of that. And yeah, he, he, is. he ended up absconding to Canada and wouldn't come back to the US because he said he feared for his life having... A, come out and spoken about mind control uh, within Hollywood and then B, having been painted as an absolute complete maniac and psycho and this, that and the other, he just said, yeah. look, I'm, I'm not going back to the US because uh, I'm considered to be this, this crazy fool now. Dave Chappelle and um, who's the other guy? Cat Williams. Mm -hmm. Now, those two have come out uh, and very candidly spoken about the true nature of the entertainment business and specifically the sort of things that are required of these celebrities in order for them to become rich and famous in terms of the initiation rituals and the sex orgies and the, the ritual sex magic parties and stuff that they are all required to attend. And this ties in with a lot of what Professor Griff, formerly of Public Enemy, has talked about in terms of initiation rituals that are required of music artists before they can reach a certain plateau of success. So this stuff is really going on. And of course, there's a lot of denial from people. Uh, they don't want to believe it's true. And there's two main things that I always say to people when they come at you with this heavy denial. And that is to say, first of all, okay, I know you don't believe this is going on. I know it's too much for you to accept. But just imagine for a second that it was Okay, just suspend your disbelief and just suppose for a second that this stuff was really going on. If it was, would you want to know about it or would you want to remain ignorant of it? I think most people would say, well, yes, I, I would want to know. And so you say, well, I'm telling you and others are telling you that it is going on and yet you're still in denial of it. And yet you've just said that if it was going on, you would want to know about it. That tends to make people think. And then another thing is to say to people, okay, again, I know you don't believe this is going on, but just suppose for a second, put yourself in the position of a deranged, demented psychopath who is absolutely hell-bent on controlling and uh, suppressing and enslaving humanity. And if you had any means at your disposal of doing it, of uh, you know, implanting false belief systems into people's minds... If you had the entertainment business at your disposal and if you could use uh, world famous pop stars and music and pop videos and TV programs and movies to get across certain symbols and get across certain uh, mind control elements, would you use it? Would you do it? 
I think the answer in most cases, from most people, if they're being honest, was would be, yes, I would. Okay, why then is it so difficult for you to believe that this might actually be the case? That's a really good way of putting it. It's quite telling because everybody says they would like to take the red pill and they'd like to know what's going on. Exactly. But cognitive dissonance is such that a lot of people, when, it, when, when they're forced to question their own paradigm, they'll gulp down that blue pill and they want things to remain exactly as they are, whether they, they complain about them or not. That's right. And I do have sympathy for, you know, how difficult it is for people to come to terms with things because we've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. Um, I lived in not denial, but just ignorance for many years, absolute ignorance. You know, all those years I was out there playing this music and uh, promoting these artists. And I can look back on it now and realize that I was helping to further this agenda. But I didn't know better. I didn't know any better at the time. Everyone has a point that they reach where they have the opportunity to wake up to truth. And, you know, it's then down to your free will choice as to whether you embrace that truth or you just remain in ignorance and denial of it. So I reached my crossroads where, you know, the information had been presented to me and I had the opportunity to either embrace it and go with it or continue to be in denial of it. And everyone reaches that moment of truth, that moment of choice. And it's then down to their free will consciousness because we all have the free will to make the choices for ourselves. So it's down to each individual as to whether they accept it or not. And then it's your karma, your personal karma, as to you know what the consequences will be of rejecting information that has been presented to you. So you've had the opportunity to become knowledgeable of it, you know, and it's down to you whether you take that opportunity or not. Yeah, I think you're dead right. And I think the difference then is between nations and ignorance. I mean, if one is nascent of something, it's that they have no earthly way or they just don't have any knowledge of something that's going on. They have no way to process that information. But if somebody is ignorant of it, they've already been presented with the information and they choose to willfully ignore, hence the term ignorance. And I think for me personally, the most frustrating thing I have to deal with on a daily basis is Ignorance. So, I mean, by all means, disagree with anything I might have to say with my views, with my opinions. But when faced with the truth, don't ignore the truth just because that truth is inconvenient to your paradigm, because that's ignorance. And that's very, very difficult to deal with. It can be hugely frustrating because the truth is the the truth whether somebody likes it or not and whether it's convenient for them or not. And I think that is one of the natural laws that exist whether we like it or not, and we're born with. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about, Mark, because you've given me a little bit of an insight in the past into the book that you're writing. And by all accounts, this is going to be a whopper of a book. This is going to be a huge tome. And it's not just about the music industry. It's about the world at large. And I know that one of the areas of special interest to you is natural law. So let's talk about that for a little while. And we can apply it back to the music industry then as well. But ultimately, everything I think comes down to consciousness and the level of consciousness and how we elevate that or how some people allow themselves to be pushed back towards a base level of consciousness. So how did you first become aware of natural law and what it is? And when we talk about natural law, we're not talking about man-made laws here, are we? Absolutely not. No, we're talking about eternal universal truths that are built into the very fabric of the universe by the creative force behind the universe. Some people people may choose to call that force God or give it some other name. Doesn't matter how you identify it, it's the same concept. We're talking about the creative force behind uh, the universe and everything and this reality in which we find ourselves. 
And uh, I first came across natural law or uh, it first started to make sense to me and really resonate with me as a result of the work of Mark Passio. And I know that there'll be many, many other people around the world that can say uh, they got their understanding of natural law from the same source. Uh, I mean, the guy just breaks it down in such easily digestible, easy to understand form that uh, a child of five can understand it, to be honest. And he's done an incredible amount of work to um, convey these great truths to people. And I would absolutely recommend that anyone checks out his work, which all resides at his website, whatonearthishappening.com, particularly his podcast series. And there's a whole bunch of videos up there as well of seminars that he's done on natural law and so many other subjects concerned with consciousness, the occult, mind control, spirituality, and all the rest of it. And so uh, I came to understand the basic tenets of natural law, which are the laws of morality that are set into place in this realm of existence and by which all of us, all living conscious beings, are bound. Whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, or whether we choose to accept it or not. You know, truth doesn't care whether you believe it. Truth doesn't care whether you like it. It goes on being truth no matter what. It's belligerent like that, but that's the nature of it. And when it comes to natural law, it's actually, again, childishly simple. And it's so simple that it should actually be getting taught in schools. And it tells you a lot that it's not being taught in schools. You can break down the two basic principles of it very, very simply. And there's a phrase that anyone can understand, maybe not entirely suitable for children, but the phrase goes, do no harm, but take no shit. And this tells you everything you need to know. Mm. It's the two central tenets of natural law. The first one is the non-aggression principle. And it's a representation of the sacred feminine principle that is inherent in nature. There's expressions of it everywhere. And this is connected with care, the care of the individual. And do no harm can be expanded to uh, the statement, do not treat others in a way you would not wish to be treated yourself. It sounds very obvious and very simple, but it's amazing how many people just don't seem to be able to grasp that most basic and simple of truths and apply it in their life. The second tenet of it is known as the self-defense principle. That's an expression of the sacred masculine in nature, and it's all to do with action. And it works in conjunction and in unity with the principle of care. And this basically states that uh, all beings are born free. All conscious beings are born free. So uh, any claim of ownership or control over us by any entity calling itself a monarchy or a government or any system of authority is uh, absolutely illegitimate and invalid because no individual and no group has the right to control or own you or try to or, or say that they do because we are free beings. And When you understand this, that is when that first principle comes into play. Do not treat others in a way you would not wish to be treated yourself. We are born free and we have the right to be left alone 
to live our lives the way we choose to live them as long as it doesn't cause harm to another living being. And if it doesn't cause harm, then it's a right and it's right behavior and it's moral behavior. But if somebody, some group or individual breaks that uh, moral code and tries to bring some kind of drama or coercion or violence or violation of your rights into your life and tries to take away your right to be left alone so long as you don't hurt another being, that's when you bear the absolute moral right under natural law to take up the self-defense principle, which is your right to do whatever it takes to defend yourself against this coercion and this violation of your rights. So, you know, it all boils down to that simple phrase, do no harm, but take no shit, which is a great way of remembering it. And it just strikes me that if everyone in the world were to live their lives according to those principles, and particularly the first principle, do no harm, can you imagine what a better deal everyone would have in life? Everyone's life would be better. Everyone's life would be happier. Everyone would be respecting everyone else and considering whether their actions are going to impact negatively on everyone else or anyone else. And if they are, they don't undertake that action. You know, humanity and this human experience would be transformed overnight. And there wouldn't even be any need for the second principle of self-defense because nobody would be violating your rights in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I came to this understanding through the work of Mark Passio and you know, it, it really just change your worldview when you understand that we are bound by these moral laws. And, of course, what we have around us is a world of violence and chaos where people are doing anything but considering how their actions are going to impact on others. And that's why we're experiencing what we are in the world today, both on... Uh, sort of microcosmic level in terms of our personal experiences day by day and on a macrocosmic level in terms of what's going on in the world and how messed up it all is. And people might think that I'm going off on one here and uh, hang on a minute, this conversation was about music a while ago, but it is all connected. And we're talking about truth, morality, uh, free will consciousness, consenting and contracting it's all linked, and I'd like to get into how I see it as being all linked, but it's all going into the book, and it's all connected to the music industry and everything else, because everything is connected ultimately. And what I'm going to attempt to do with this book is demonstrate how all this stuff is connected and uh, you know, just, just try and make some sense of some of this stuff that's going on in the music business by showing how it fits into a much larger picture. So before we get into some of those links and how it does tie back to the music business, just as you're speaking, Mark, it strikes me that the fundamental, ultimate truth that you've just mentioned there has huge similarities with the teachings or some of the tenets of major religions in their purer forms. So say the teachings of Jesus, um, do yep. unto others as you would have done unto you. The good bits, if you like. Let's forget about organized religion for a second. But the spirituality that religion, I think, was intended to be initially, maybe it was bastardized along the way by vested interests, or maybe there was just a little bit of goodness thrown in there to get people to come along for the ride. I don't know. But there's this kind of common thread throughout history and throughout not just the major religions, but any kind of belief system that has goodness supposedly at its core 
or as its essence, it seems to rely heavily on that tenet of natural law. Everything seems to stem from natural law and that very much tallies with what you're saying. If that's the ultimate truth, well then everything has to be that way. That's the natural order of things then. Would I be correct in surmising that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that so many of the major world religions, uh, you know, present day religions, but also belief systems of the ancient world and from from many of the, the writings and scripts that have come down to us, all demonstrate a knowledge and an understanding of the basic fundamental principles of natural law. It's present in Christianity and, uh, you know, Islam. I went to a Christian church for four years when I labored under the delusion that I was a Christian. But I do remember that, you know, many of the teachings were along the lines of do not treat others in a way you would not wish to be treated yourself. Mm. So I think many of the religions started out with a basic understanding of this and, you know, rooted in natural law. And then all the dogma and the rules and regulations got added. And that's when uh, the face of many of these religions changed. But at the core of it is this basic understanding. And then you have the absolute antithesis of these teachings, which is where you get into the realms of Satanism and uh, dark occultism. And you get uh, doctrines and teachings within Satanism along the lines of do what thou wilt, you know, to, to coin that famous phrase of Aleister Crowley, which I interpret as uh, do whatever you want uh, succumb to your basest human desires, uh, live your life for your own physical pleasure and gratification, and don't give a damn about anyone else. Do not give a thought as to how your actions are going to impact on others. And you have the famous ritual that takes place in Bohemian Grove every summer, where uh, the rich and famous of the world dress in robes and gather in this forest clearing by night in front of this 40-foot stone owl with fires going off everywhere. And they have this ritual known as the cremation of care. Yeah, and tell us about if, that. Yeah, and if you take care to be a representation of the non-aggression principle of natural law, which is the do-no-harm bit, uh, that to me seems symbolic of them saying to hell with care to hell with this sacred feminine principle of, of uh, you know, care for others. Uh, we're going to do whatever the hell we want. Uh, and we're not going to give a damn about how it impacts on other people. And that seems to be, you know, the, the core of Satanism and, and these dark occult practices. And that's what we're seeing being represented in the music business to bring it full circle back again to where we started. Uh, Satanism, unfortunately inconvenient as it may be, is linked to the corporate entertainment industry. And we're seeing representations of it in many of these stage shows that we see at the Grammys and the Super Bowl and Madonna concerts and all the rest of it. We're seeing it in these music music videos. And again, there's sites like Vigilant Citizen and so many others that break down all this imagery. Uh, so you're getting all this satanic stuff going into music videos and artists that are being lapped up by young kids. And it seems to me to be uh, a debasement of the principles of natural law. And again, it comes down to the fact that there must be a deep understanding of natural law and of the fact that we're all bound by it, by the controllers, by those that run these industries. And they're using their understanding of it to uh, steer people well away from an understanding of it. And, you know, down the opposite path, which is the path towards selfishness and that's what satanism is basically it's all about me 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 it's just that selfish mindset 
which most people are in. Let's face it, you know, the majority of society, most people get up in the morning and every thought throughout the day until the moment they go to bed at night is all about what suits me best? How can I, I make my life better? What do I want to do? There's no thought, there's no care for others, how their actions might impact on uh, you know, other people or other groups of people. And that's the mindset that they've wanted people to be in. And I would say they've done a pretty good job of it. So the fact that this satanic mindset is so prevalent in society and the fact that it's being promoted via the music industry just demonstrates to me a deep knowledge of the eternal truth of natural law that lies at the, the base root of everything. You know, the dark occult controllers understand this. So what then, Mark, would you say to those people? And I quite often hear this spoken about within the New Age movement. Well, none of that affects me, Mark, because I don't believe in any of it. And if I choose not to believe in any of it, I'm above all of that. So it's never going to affect me. What would your answer be there? Yeah, I hear that one a lot. It's uh, a creation of the New Age. It's New Age bullshit, basically. And Mark Passio has said many times in his broadcasts that, uh, you know, it's a well-known fact that he was a member of the Church of Satan and various other dark occult groups in yeah. his youth. He's very open about it. Uh, what drove him to these groups was uh, a kind of uh, revulsion against the Catholic upbringing that he had, uh, you know, at the hands of his family. He saw the hypocrisy of that religion and it turned him away to the absolute antithesis of it, which at the time was these dark occult groups, which he joined. But he tells how the New Age movement and the mindset that you've just outlined there is a direct creation of these dark occult groups. They set up the New Age movement as a controlled opposition, if you like, to steer people off down an erroneous path. Uh, see, I think there's a natural tendency among humans to gravitate towards some sort of uh, spiritual belief system. That's why religions have been so successful, because they've kind of harnessed that inherent desire among people to find spiritual truth for themselves. And so many people get uh, steered into one religion or another as a result of that. Of course, you do get very scientifically minded, left-brained people that absolutely reject any notion of spirituality. And they're the ones that are catered for by atheism. Uh, and the sort of Richard Dawkins uh, model, which is to say that life is just this cosmic accident and there is no God and we're just here as a result of this chemical um, you know, process that happened in the distant past and that's all there is to it. So those people are catered for by that. Then you have people that are sort of more spiritually inclined, but of course it's in the interests of those with the true knowledge of what's going on in the world to keep them away from absolute truth, the truth of natural law and morality. And so the New Age movement was created for these people so that they could be steered off down that path and they could be led to believe that it's all about your own personal perception of things. Uh, no action is required on your part. It's all about how you think and how you feel and you know what, what you put out into the universe. And you can kind of meditate and think nice thoughts and shut off all this negative stuff that's going on in the world. You don't have to think about it and that's fine. You know, that's all you need to do. Uh, that is 
uh, an absolute cop-out in my view. It's a form of cowardice. It's just people not facing up to responsibility because with truth, with an understanding of truth, comes responsibility. And like I was outlining with those central tenets of natural law, one of them, the non-aggression principle, is to do with care, but the self-defense principle is to do with action. And action is required when there's injustice going on in the world and when there's immorality going on in the world. It's not enough just to sit back and think nice thoughts and burn an incense stick and sit in the lotus position. You know, sometimes action is required and they don't want people to recognize this. And the New Age movement and that line of thought was created to keep people away from taking action. It's almost worse to be aware of something that's going on and not intervene and not take action. In my book, certainly. Exactly. Um, it, it just feels more wrong than to be doing something wrong in the first place. Um, I saw a very interesting documentary only last night with a couple of friends about the Hillsborough tragedy in England. And for those that aren't familiar with it, it's the worst football stadium tragedy that has ever taken place in Britain. It took place 25 years ago in Sheffield and 96 people lost their lives as a result of a crush that took place in the stadium. I was really struck as I was watching footage. I was struck by the number of people, authorities, police in this case, who because they were given orders and they were told to stand down and they were told to do particular things which involved not intervening to help people. Now, some ignored those orders, but the vast majority did not. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. I was thinking pretty much along the lines of the way you have been and the way you've been speaking over the last five minutes or so. Those guys, to me, must feel in some way complicit in that they took no action. They were aware of what was going on. People were dying in front of them. They could have in some way intervened, but no, because the order from on high came to stand down, they stood and watched. And I don't care what kind of orders are being given or whether you're just doing your job or whatever it might be. That just does not wash. It goes against every moral fibre of my being and presumably yeah. it should for everybody else but it doesn't seem to so to not take action in the face of wrongdoing for me personally is one of the worst sins that can be committed if you want to call it a sin yeah it goes back to uh, consequentialism I mean another sort of um facet of natural law is cause and effect. It's actually been called the law of cause and effect. It's got many different names. Some people refer to it as universal law. It's called consequentialism, cause and effect, karmic law. And basically, uh, you, you get out what you get back. You know, everyone's familiar with this concept. Uh, what goes around comes around. So many different ways of expressing it. But what you put out into the universe, you, you reap, you know, in the form of, of karmic consequence. And uh, it was really brought home to me in a comment by one of my good friends on Facebook, Tyra Ahmed, the other day just just made a post and she was talking about how, um, you know, on a microcosmic personal level, the way you live your life has consequences in terms of what comes back at you, you know, in, in terms of your experiences. But that also happens on a macrocosmic level as well, on a collective basis, because we're all connected and we're all part of this human experience together. And she was saying that, Look at what we've got in Britain. Just look at our leaders, our so-called leaders and our monarchy. You know, they're up to their necks in filth, corruption, degradation, depravity. We've got uh, paedophilia or child rape to actually call it what it is. Mm. Sexual depravity, financial scandals, you know, all this stuff going on. 
And, and these people are supposed to be our leaders and these are people that we're supposed to look up to. And she was saying, you know, we, we've got all this because we deserve it, because not enough of us care about what's going on. Most people just don't give a shit. They're just walking around in their own private little bubble. They're not worried about what's happening. They don't get outraged about the paedophilia and all the scandals and scams that are going on. They just let it slide. They're not outraged by the fact that we're being poisoned from the skies and we've got poison in our food and drink. They just let it slide. And so we get what we deserve. It's consequentialism. It's cause and effect. Because we don't give a shit, we've got this, this, uh, you know, this raw deal that we have. And there's natural law in action for you. There's a little representation of how it works. If you don't care, if you don't get involved, that's the kind of deal you get. John, I should probably get a bit more into uh, trying to make some connections between all this stuff that I'm talking about and, and the music stuff in the book, because I can imagine there's people out there still scratching their heads thinking, yeah, this is good stuff, but what's it actually got to do with, with the music stuff? So um, I just wanted to make the point that when I first started out writing this book, which is going to be called Musical Truth, by the way, for anyone that remembers Musical Youth back in the day. It's a wordplay on that. Great name. Uh, thank you. And it's bringing in the two things that interest me the most in life, which is music and truth. And I'm going to self-publish it, and I've been working away so hard at it over the months, just trying to get the time to put it all together. It's so difficult finding the time with everything else that's going on. But I would say it's about two-thirds written now. So I'm on the homeward stretch. And it's actually turning out to be a very different type of book to what it was intended to be when I first set out. Started writing it in September last year. And I know so much more now than I did in September last year. Okay. I know so much more now than I did last Wednesday. <laughs> and I know that next Wednesday, I'm going to know so much more than I do today. We because... should have scheduled this interview for next Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, but then I'd have said we should have done it the Wednesday after because I'd know more. Well, that's it. The eternal riddle. Yeah. So I'm learning all the time, as everyone does. And initially, the idea of the book was to bring together all the stuff that I've learned about the manipulations of the music industry. Yeah. So it's the mind-controlled artists, it's the symbolism that's going into videos and stage shows, it's predictive programming that's going into videos and stuff, it's... Um, some of the stuff from the early years of the industry concerning the Beatles and Paul McCartney, <laughs> or is he? We better not get into that one today. We'll be here all bloody day. Uh, but, but all these things that I talk about in my public talks, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to bring them all together in one volume as a kind of go-to source for people to find out about all this strange stuff that goes on in the music business? But as I got involved in writing it, my understanding of some of these great eternal truths... Uh, to do with human consciousness, free will, consenting, contracting, how that all ties into natural law. Uh, all of that increased so much, and I could see how it was connected to what was being done in the music business, that I thought, this has got to go into the book, and I've got to try and tell this story. So it's ended up being quite a different book to what it was intended to be in the first place. And I think one of the best ways I can illustrate how these two seemingly different worlds are linked is by just talking a bit about the chapter that I'm doing on predictive programming. And people are probably familiar with what this is. It's the depiction of real-world events, so-called real-world, 
before they actually happen. It's a symbolic representation of something that is yet to come. And we've seen many examples of it in Hollywood movies, in cartoons, in TV shows, and it's been going into music videos as well. So when you have an event such as 9-11 or 7-7 or Sandy Hook or the Boston bombings or even the German Wings plane crash recently, Mm. in every case, with no exceptions pretty much, vigilant researchers have been able to find depictions of various aspects of these events in works of popular culture before they actually happen. And one example, there are so many, but I'll give one example of 9-11 being foreshadowed in a music industry record sleeve is one that I've talked about in my uh, public talks. It's a record sleeve from a Supertramp album called Breakfast in America, which came out in 1979. And there's an image of an aeroplane coming into land over Manhattan, and you see the twin towers of the World Trade Center through an aeroplane window. And it's got the word Supertramp over the top of the sleeve. And somebody worked out that if you reverse the image, if you invert it, uh, which is which goes on so much in, in Satanism and dark occultism, it's all about inversion and, and making things backwards. If you invert the image... Uh, something strange happens and the lettering above the two twin towers of the World Trade Center uh, appears to come out as 9-11. And given the fact that this is viewed through an aeroplane window, it raises very interesting questions about whether this was prior knowledge of what was going to happen on 9-11. Yeah. And uh, there are many theories as to why predictive programming is done. Some people believe that it's done to help to energize and empower the situation into physical manifestation. So if you have all these people looking at a video or a picture or something, and that picture has been encoded with uh, the energetic intent of the event that they want to bring off, the combined energy of all these people looking at it actually helps to empower it into being. And I think there's probably some truth to that. But another reason as to why it's done, which I think is the main one, is because... Or, or it's all down to free will, consciousness, and consent. What they're doing in a very underhand and deceitful way is they're giving you advance information as to what they plan to do. And they do it in a very symbolic way, which most people could never reasonably be expected to understand or interpret. But This is down to the fact that the people that we're talking about here and the networks that we're talking about here are, of course, psychopaths Mm. and they are deranged and demented. So uh, let's not be too surprised that they go about things in a deceitful, twisted kind of way. But they're giving you this advanced knowledge and they're basically announcing the fact that they plan to pull off one of these events or other. And when we see this imagery in a Simpsons cartoon or a Hollywood movie or whatever it is, and we don't voice any kind of objection to it, they take that as our tacit approval and free will consent to them going ahead and doing it. And in their sick, twisted, perverted way of thinking, they believe that if they've got our consent and we've not said, you can't do this, it lets them off the hook in terms of any kind of karmic consequence 
that would otherwise come down to bear upon them. So, so uh, it's a, a form down, of cremation of care almost. Yeah, kind of. It comes down to these universal eternal concepts of consent and contracting. And we consent and contract to things on a tacit, uh, unwitting level all the time without knowing that we're doing it. And one of the major ways in which we do this or we have it done to us is by way of our birth certificate. And this is where you get into the free man movement, you know, the straw man movement. It's got many different names, but uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with it. Mm. Uh, we are tricked into uh, consenting to a contract with the government by way of our birth certificate. And, of course, none of us as kids realize this or have any opportunity to do anything about it. And our parents, who generate these birth certificates on our behalf, have no idea what they're doing either. You know, I've got a birth certificate for my kids. I didn't know any better at the time. But uh, what's actually happening is in this country, the UK, Ireland, and, and many others, most others around the world, we have a system of maritime law or admiralty law, which is uh, this ancient form of uh, so-called law, mm. which is all to do with merchant shipping. And what these demented psychopaths, these so-called elites, have done is they've tricked us into consenting to having a corporate entity uh, registered in our name by way of our birth certificate. And there's a lot of word magic going on here because birth, the word birth has a double meaning as well as birth in terms of coming into the world. If you spell birth with an E, which sounds the same, it's... You know, a birth is what happens to a ship when it comes into harbour. Yeah. And there's all kinds of double meanings when you get into maritime law. And uh, when we consent or when our parents consent to us having a corporate entity created in our name, we are entering into a contract with the government whereby we are basically uh, giving up ownership of ourselves to them. Of course, it has no basis and no truth under natural law. Mm because uh, no man-made law can trump natural law, which is the ultimate. But uh, it's a legal fiction which has been created, and it's trickery and deception, and nearly everyone in the country is a part of it, and we are beholden to the government uh, as a result of this, and that's why we are required to pay taxes, because we are seen as uh, collateral to, to the government. And this is all to do with consenting and contracting. And it's all done on this deceitful, uh, underhand sort of level. So I hope people can see that there's connections there between the predictive programming stuff that goes on in music videos and all the symbolism and the occult imagery that goes into music stuff as well. And the, these eternal concepts of consenting and contracting. It's all to do with what we choose to do with our free will consciousness. And the individuals controlling things understand how natural law works and they understand that there is karmic consequence for actions and they believe that they can get around reaping the karmic consequence for their clearly uh, malevolent actions by putting the emphasis and the onus back on us as individuals and tricking us 
into giving our free will consciousness to, to things that they do and tricking us into consenting to it. And, you know, on, on a tacit kind of level saying, we consent to this, we do not object. They have to have our approval for the things that they do in order to empower them and in order to escape the consequence for it as they see it. That's why they do things like predictive programming, which is also known as revelation of the method. They're telling you what they're doing, but they're doing it in a way where they understand most people won't realize what's happening. And so they won't stand up and say, hang on a minute, I'm not having this. You can't do this. When we don't do that, they go right ahead with their actions and they believe that uh, they've got our consent for it. I really hope that makes sense to people because it's pretty much the best way I can uh, put it out there. My understanding of what you've just said then is basically that if we imagine there is a language called symbolism, the language of symbolism and the language of law then, which is legalese, these are two languages that the vast majority of us are not fluent in. Yeah. However, those that are doing the predictive programming are taking the decisions, are controlling, are fluent in both. So they put the message out in a language that they know we can't understand, but they put the message out nonetheless. Exactly. And through our silence then, we give our tacit consent because we didn't understand it and it's, it's irrelevant to them whether we had gnosis of it or not. But they've put the question out. They didn't get a negative response to what they were asking. So yep. to fit with their belief system then, karmically, their slate is clean. Well, that's what they believe. I would suggest they're in for a shock you know, on, on their own personal judgment day. I would suggest that they've grossly misunderstood the way the laws of morality work. And, you know, there is going to be karmic payback for them. And I wouldn't want to be them on the day when it comes to call. But there's another couple of ways of, of really getting this message across, which I think will resonate with people uh, and, and, you know, make the point. One of them came from Thomas Sheridan. And it was on his appearance on Alchemy, actually, when he was chatting to you last year. And mm. I thought what he said was great. He was talking about all this stuff and how predictive programming works. And he mentioned that in the Dracula movies, uh, I think it was that anyway, or was, you know, he referenced some vampire movies, that the Dracula character or the vampire character would always knock on the door and had to be invited in mm. before he could work his dark magic. So, you know, the victim had to let the perpetrator in. It had to be the victim's free will choice to bring this evil on themselves. Uh, I think that illustrates the same concept here. And another one that I just throw in there is if people remember the movie The Exorcist, you had the Linda Blair character, Reagan who was possessed by this demonic entity, of course. But the reason the demonic entity came into her is because she'd been mucking about with a Ouija board that she found in the attic. And so she'd effectively invited this demonic entity into her by way of the Ouija board. Whether she understood what she was doing or not is irrelevant. She did it either way. So, you know, you've got the knocking on the door and having to be invited in. Yeah. And you've got the, the possession by way of the Ouija board to illustrate the fact that our approval is required. Our consent is required. We are required to contract with something and say it's OK before they feel they've got the green light to bring it on. Again, it doesn't matter whether we understand what we're getting into or not. 
which is why the birth certificate lie works so well, because how can we be expected to understand uh, the fact that we have given our free will, consciousness and consent to it is all they feel is needed. That's an absolutely fascinating perspective and one that's just opened my mind to another viewpoint because I often wondered about predictive programming and I wondered was it a form of synchromysticism or what could it have been and I I never came to that conclusion and it does make sense in the context of the law and admiralty law as you've just alluded to there because it's something that I would have done quite a bit of work on in the past and um, it's quite relevant in Ireland where I'm from because at the moment we're suffering from austerity measures and there's huge anti-government sentiment and there's one tax after another being introduced on an almost weekly basis at the moment. And quite a number of people are starting to cop on to the scam that is tax and how people are required to give their consent and to contract. So every new tax that comes along, there's a new registration form that comes along with it. And the minute we give our consent through registering for something, well, then we are liable for that tax or that new charge or whatever it might be. And a lot of people are kind of copping onto that now, finally in Ireland. Now, whether they'll take action is another thing, and that's a conversation for another day. But a lot more people are having the conversation, at least, which is good. And yeah. to apply that then to predictive programming and super false flag events and the like, I've never actually made that link before. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that you have. And it just resonates with me, I must say, Mark. I think that's that's great stuff. Yeah, thank you, man. I mean, it's all to do with, uh, it's all about them announcing what they plan to do. So you just mentioned taxes. You know, we're getting new taxes introduced all the time, but they always tell you about it. You know, you get David Cameron or whichever other arsehole standing up there and saying, yes, we, you know, we have to introduce this tax, you know, George Osborne or whoever it is. And they always tell you about foreign wars as well before they launch a war in some far off country. You always get some pathetic justification for it. You know, Obama or whoever standing up there and saying, oh, they're terrorists. We've got to go in to free the people or whatever other bullshit excuse. But they tell you that they're going to do it. And something else occurred to me about how they they have to reveal what they're doing. Revelation of the method. You know, things like vaccines. You know, I'm sure people have done research into vaccines to understand that they are deeply harmful to human health and anything but beneficial to it. And some of the stuff that you get in vaccines is, you know, hideous, bloody formaldehyde and monkey brain tissue, aborted fetuses, you know, horrific stuff, mercury. But actually, they tell you about that as well, because when you get a vaccine, or at least if you request it, you get an information leaflet. Uh, and it lists all this stuff. It might give you the chemical name for it or some bloody multi-syllabled compound name for it. But if you are vigilant enough to do the research, you can find out what this stuff is. And similarly, they put aspartame into um, kids' fizzy drinks. And aspartame is incredibly harmful to the human brain, as I'm sure a lot of people understand. And you might think, well, if they're trying to destroy people's brain cells and dumb down the populace, Why would they tell you that they're putting this shite into children's drinks? And why would they tell you about all these horrors they're putting into vaccines? It's the same thing. They tell you because they believe they're required to tell you. And once they've told you, if you go right ahead and take it anyway, that's your choice, your karma, they're off the hook. They told you, you made the decision anyway. You consented with it. It's another expression of it. Something I'm certainly going to explore over the next couple of weeks and months because I just really like that perspective. 
Yeah, that's all. It's all stuff that's just come to me during the process of writing this book, and that's why I say it's going to be a very different type of book to what I thought. Uh, there's going to be loads of stuff about the workings of the music industry, but I'm going to put it into the much wider perspective of of all these universal truths because I think understanding this stuff explains away so much of what we see go on in the music game explains so much of the symbolism the predictive programming why artists behave in a certain way you know it's it's been fascinating for me as well to it's been a real journey for me to uh have all this stuff resonate with me and, yeah, and sure. try and get it into the book you know it's it's uh interesting times yeah because for me one of the big things that um i mean my my day job so to speak is within the music industry as well so one of the things that just struck me very early on was in what is supposedly a creative industry, wouldn't it be beneficial to stand out from the rest and be different? Yet, those at the top are doing precisely the opposite. Now, there has to be a reason for it. There has to be. It's not coincidence that everybody is using the same symbolism. It's not even a form of synchromysticism, I don't think. I mean, there are very clear reasons, and you've gone into quite a number of them over the last hour or so, and the last time we spoke as well. I just think people can't ignore forever, as I did for many, many years. You can't ignore facts when they're presented in front of you just because, and I talk about it the whole time, just because they don't fit your paradigm. My paradigm or my accepted belief with regard to the music industry would have been traditionally that, well, yeah, everybody is just trying to do the best they can and everybody is trying to be creative and that there's a formula to be successful within the business that's applied and that only extends as far as imagery for the sake of imagery. And because one popular artist such as Madonna has used a particular type of imagery, everybody just copies and tries to emulate. Yeah, there is a very clear reason for it. However, that reason goes far, far deeper than I certainly had ever imagined initially. And I really had to break my own existing belief system and paradigm, as you explained earlier with your views on Jay-Z, when yeah. it was first brought to your attention that he was more than met the eye or the year. Yeah, and yeah. that's a really, really difficult thing to do because you have to shatter that illusion. And again, you spoke very eloquently about how people are almost defined by their generation and growing up, they're listening to a certain style of music and that resonates with them. And they don't like to let go of that because they have become attached to it. And I'm no exception. I always would have been very attached to certain acts and certain artists who I had to let go of when I realized the agenda that was at work and what was going on with regard to mind control and to Satanism and general negativity because I don't want my consciousness brought to a base level where I can be controlled by somebody else for their ends and at their whim. I want my consciousness elevated as high as I can possibly get it to benefit not just me, but the people around me as well, because that's what natural law dictates I should be doing. So I will resist and resist forcefully anybody who tries to get in the way of that as natural law states that I'm entitled to do. And one question I wanted to ask you then relating to that, Mark, is with with family, how resistant have they been to this? And I'm not just talking about your journey towards, in inverted commas, awakening. I'm talking about the fact that you are writing about this and it has changed you presumably as a person in the way you approach your life and the people around you. So aside from music and your profession and that side of things, has it been a positive thing for you or has it been negative to a large degree as well? Because I've spoken to many people who have had both experiences and trying to find that balance can be quite difficult. So how has that been for you? Well, I would say that so far, uh, 
all these understandings that I've made or these, these truths that I've come to an understanding of have made me a better person. It certainly made me a more moral person because I now consider the impact that my actions are likely to have on others in line with the non-aggression principle. And so I'm definitely a more moral person as a result. And uh, the world needs more people thinking along those lines, you know, not putting myself on any kind of pedestal. I'm just an individual that has come to understand how natural law works and is trying to apply it to my life. I'm by no means perfect. I make lots of mistakes, but I'm trying. Uh, I think if there's any kind of... uh, negative feedback that is going to come as a result of this process it's going to come when the book is published (laughs) because when i get it out there and people start to read it a lot of people are going to be shocked by many of the things that i say and if there's any kind of flack to be had from it it's going to come when when that book is published so i think the full impact of this process that i've been through is yet to be felt well, I must say, I'm really looking forward to the book. Is there any kind of, uh, have you a deadline or any kind of schedule? Have we any clue as to when it might be out? Well, I'm aiming for the first quarter of 2016. I'm trying to get it out in the first three months of next year. I'm working frantically to, to get it finished. And then I've got to go through the process of getting it self-published and starting to market it and all of that. So at the moment, I'm aiming for that. I hope it won't get later, but it may do. Uh, but it will get out one way or another, by hook or by crook. Another question before I let you go as well, Mark, that I really wanted to talk to you about. It's the truth or the alternative movement, and it's become big business for a lot of people, and there's no doubt that it is a split movement, but there are so many people who are aware to varying degrees of the game that is at play globally, be it geopolitics or be it to do with medicine or symbolism or the music industry or whatever it might be. There are many people aware of the different pockets Uh, without necessarily linking them. But more and more people are starting to join the dots, I think, as time goes on. However, as more and more people do that, there seems to be, to me, more and more division within what should be or could be an organic community of like-minded or like-feeling beings, if that's not too esoteric. So what do you think the problems are that exist within the alternative movement? Why are so many people fighting with each other when we should be clubbing together in a sense even if it's only spiritually we should be clubbing together to kind of find our own truth and to resist the quite rapid negative change that is going on in the world at the moment and I'm speaking about the control system there again in inverted commas yeah it just amazes me to see people that are supposedly enlightened and awake and have some understanding of the problems that humanity is facing and what's being done to us, just bickering and fighting and calling each other names. And, you know, you see Facebook threads that go on for days and you see under a YouTube video, there's people arguing in the comments section and so much of it just seems to be steeped in ego. You know, so many people just don't seem to have learned anything about letting go of ego and recognizing our true nature and you know human consciousness and the fact that we're all linked and we're all part of this experience together people just seem to have so much invested in their ego still uh they're trying to outdo each other on knowledge you know somebody will make a comment uh, or cite a bit of information and then immediately somebody else who would claim to be an awake truth seeker will just call him a fuckwit and say uh you know you're a retard uh this is the case or you know this piece of information is correct and there's just all this 
slanging going on. And it, this is why we're in such a mess. This is why we've not been able to uh, combat the plans that the elites have for us. And this is why they, our adversaries, have been so successful in their plan. Because uh, whatever differences they may have, they seem to have been able to put them aside in terms of uniting to achieve their common goal. And they've been putting into action uh, the expression of the Holy Trinity, which is mind, body, spirit, uh, thoughts, emotions, actions. When you bring those three elements together in balanced unity with each other, uh, you can manifest certain physical situations. Mm. And, you know, according to your will, that's what they've been doing. Now, if only those of us on the other side of the fence, which let's remember, we're talking about billions of people versus a few hundred thousand at most. So the, the numbers are skewed ridiculously. If we would only understand that if we were to unite in the same way, unite our thoughts, emotions and actions towards a better deal for humanity, then it's game over for the master plan overnight. But somehow we just don't seem to be able to grasp that. Somehow people don't seem to be able to grasp that most simple of principles of natural law. Do not treat others in a way you'd not wish to be treated yourself. And if somebody seeks to take away your rights in line with that, then you must do whatever it takes to defend yourself, to defend your rights. Mm. People just don't seem to be able to grasp that simple truth. And until they do, then nothing's going to change. Do you think they will? It could go either way. Mm. Really, it just comes down to how much people want it. And it all comes down to giving our consent and giving our tacit approval to things. That's what it all relies on. When we withdraw our consent and we make it clear that we do not contract in any way and we do not consent in any way to what they seek to do to us, then it's game over as well because it's all about our consent. People just need to understand that and stop bickering and stop arguing about who knows the most uh, you know, and, and spending all their time on Facebook arguing back and forth instead of taking action to actually change anything. I agree fully. And instead of, instead of spending all that time on Facebook, I think they could spend a bit of time listening to your podcast. So tell us about them because I'm an avid listener of both. You've got a music podcast and a talk show as well. So give us the gory details. Yeah, well, the latest volume of Good Vibrations, which is my conversation-based podcast, is with some geezer called John Gibbons, uh, some some guy from Ireland. What, what a D- coincidence. He's, he's a DJ, apparently, uh, and he makes the odd tune. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> you've guested on my most recent volume, uh, so we did the conversation the other way, and uh, I'm up to, what is it, 60, 66? Are you, are yeah, you I'm, 66? Yeah, I'm, I'm 66, yeah. I think you are. Uh, so there's all manner of conversations there with uh, researchers and uh, authors and filmmakers from the truth consciousness alternative field. And uh, so people can go back and listen to all the previous volumes on that. The other one that I do is called The Sound of Freedom. And this is Conscious Music. It's a conscious music showcase every fortnight. And it demonstrates the fact that there is still meaningful, uplifting, empowering music being made out there. You do have a choice. You don't have to listen to all this 
mind-numbing, spirit-destroying corporate garbage that's being churned out. Conscious music is available for those that wish to hear it. And I put a, a showcase of that out each fortnight under the Sound of Freedom. Both of those are available on my SoundCloud page, uh, which is soundcloud.com forward slash mark dash Devlin. But you can also access it via my main site, which is markdevlin.co.uk. And there's links to everything else that I do from that site as well. I couldn't recommend either of them highly enough. I listen time and time again, and it's so refreshing as well to hear a music podcast that takes the perspective that you do. And The Sound of Freedom is a great name, as is the name for the book, Musical Truth. You will certainly be chatting about that closer to the time. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Mark, because... I would love you to come back on in the not-too-distant future to talk about the Beatles and Paul McCartney because we didn't touch on it and deliberately I stayed away from it today because, as you mentioned, we could be talking for hours about that alone. It's a topic I don't know too much about. Um, Some people listening will be aware of the conspiracy theory or potential conspiracy fact surrounding Paul McCartney and his supposed death and rebirth within the Beatles and I would love to have a chat with you if you'd be willing to come back onto Alchemy and talk about that pretty soon oh we can do that for sure and uh, I've addressed that in the book and when I first started going into that subject I intended to do a section of a chapter on the Beatles bringing in this McCartney stuff Yeah. and as I started to research it and went down so many different rabbit holes to coin a phrase uh, it grew and I ended up doing two chapters on the Beatles and one (laughs) entire chapter of about 12,000 words on McCartney. There is so much to say about it. And when you start to delve into the subject, you will be there for days. (laughs) This is going to be a big book by the sounds of things. It's going to be a a Bible, not in terms of uh, its spiritual potency, I'm sure, but in terms of being a doorstop. Well, here's hoping it's the former and not the doorstop. So I'm very much looking forward to it. It's been fantastic speaking to you on Alchemy. As always, Mark Devlin, thank you for joining me. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Thanks, man. All the best. Alchemy. What you preach and what you turn the other cheek. Father, 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 help us and some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Where is the love? What's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama. Only attracted to things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the USA. The big CIA, the Bloods and the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Yeah, madness is what you demonstrate. And that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you gotta have love just to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. People killing, people dying, children hurting, you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach and what you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us and some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning.
don't belong. Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones with ongoing suffering. As the youth are young, so ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I can ask myself, really, what is going wrong in this world that we living in? People keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends. Not respecting each other, denying thy brother. A war is going on, but the reason's undercover. The truth is kept secret and swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. What's the love, y'all? Come on. Oh, where's the truth, y'all? Come on. I don't know. Oh, where's the love, y'all? People killing, people dying, children hurt and hidden crying. Can you practice what you preach and would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Where is the love? My shoulder. As I'm getting older, y'all people get older. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images is the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinemas, y'all. Whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding leading us away from unity. That's the reason why. Sometimes I'm feeling under. That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down. It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under. Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found. People just... killing, people dying, children hurt and hidden crying. Can you practice what you preach and would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Well, that's it for another episode of Alchemy. Thank you for tuning in. It's great, as I said earlier, to be back on air and I look forward to bringing you many, many interesting shows in the coming weeks, months and indeed years. Don't forget we exist thanks to your kind donations and thank you to everybody who does so via our website, alchemyradio.net. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. So anything at all that you can possibly spare is very, very much appreciated. We'll be back very, very soon. And don't forget, keep approaching the world with an open mind. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Alchemy. Alchemy. Care. Will. Intelligence. Imagination. Alchemy.